Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. final frontier. These are the voyages of the SSF, of the SFP. Oh, sorry. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Uh, joining me, as always, is uh, my good friend uh, Craig McKenzie, uh, up in Scotland. And we also have with us Raisa. And, you know, we've got a great show lined up. We're going to be talking about some of the recent events and TV shows. And a little bit later on in the show, we have uh, an interview with uh, Andrew Farrago, um, the writer of perhaps the greatest um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles visual reference book ever made. So he's going to be talking about that with us later on. Uh, so, Craig, Reese, how are you guys doing? Well, thanks. Yeah, a few days off. Recharge batteries, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a few days off and uh, the podcast has had a few weeks off. <laughs> yeah. Which which has also been good because it's allowed me to do other stuff. So. But, um, okay, so we've got, we've got, we've got quite, quite a lot to get to. Um, we've got um, Arrow and Flash have returned, along with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is, you know, which is really good. And we also have the uh, new Thunderbird show to discuss. So, uh, what do you guys want to have a go at first? Let's just, um, I guess, start with Arrow. Arrow okay, works um, for me. I'm, I'm about two weeks behind you guys, but don't worry about it. I don't care about spoilers. Spy on the way. Okay. Um, this this last episode is um, the one where everything goes to hell in a handcart for Team Arrow, and uh, Ollie is forced to come out, and they have all of that useless triangle stuff between Ray and and, uh, and Felicity. And I had a really initial negative reaction based on um, that triangle stuff, because the triangle stuff and the inane flashbacks with Twin Shadow um, took away from the fact that they have Ra's al Ghul as their main villain. And if you have Ra's al Ghul as your main villain in whatever iteration of DCU that you're doing, that's the story. That should be the story. You shouldn't have these inane other subplots going on. I think the problem with the flashbacks this season is they haven't been relevant. I mean, season one and two, I thought the island stuff was always pretty bang on. And it was, it was interesting, isolation and stuff, but now he's just in China. You know, yeah. those kind of, if you look back on season one and two, there's no indication that he was ever off the island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Just, I think they just didn't have any story left on the island, so they had to move him. Yeah, yeah, I just... It's, it's, it's very strange. I, I do want to say, while we're on the topic of racial goal, that um, there's been some some um, conventions recently. And at one of the conventions, one of the producers was saying that the reason that there's a different pronunciation of Raz or Raish is because when Nolan did his trilogy, racial goal was pronounced Raz. And he did that, and it kind of confused the casual fans. And so what the producers decided to do was to was to acknowledge the two pronunciations by having it where if you're in league with, with Ross, it's Raish, because that's the pronunciation. And if you're not in league with with Raish, it's Ross. I guess when I was reading the comics, I always read it as Ross. Yeah, it's Raish. It yeah. should be Raish. Because it is, in fact, Arabic. And I, um, yeah. that's the pronunciation. I, I always read it as Rash for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I was actually fighting a supreme case of Jokic out of time or something. But... <laughs> um, I think their version of Arrow is, is really good. Matt Nabel does a really good job, and it's not what you would expect from that sort of role as well. No, and I, I, I just wish they would let him just go full throttle, because I kind of got the feeling that because they've got so many other plot lines... They're not letting their main villain be their main villain, to the, even to the extent that he could be, even though he's doing a very good job with what he's being given. 
Yeah, I think um, I think he's just kind of biding his time. I think when the time comes, he will launch into full kind of villain mode. Yeah, and I quite like how they've done the sort of because the Nolan films they did, it was a title that was passed down from person to person, and in yeah. Arrow they're, they're doing both, they're doing the immortal and the title. Yeah, yeah, good. which which is actually even better for backstory purposes because you can have you know various ones, and I've actually I kind of wish that they would get their full Highlanders on and actually just give us previous races in, in webisodes or something, <laughs> you know, because it would be interesting. If and when they ever introduce Batman to that universe, it doesn't have to be the same racial ghoul that annoys Bruce Wayne as the, you know, as deals with all of the queens. Huh? That's what bugs me, just from a structural point of view. And I'm, I'm not even a hardcore fan, but I can see why the hardcore fans are a bit pissed now. Why is Green Arrow doing Batman storylines? Because they can't have Batman on TV. They did the same with Smallville. Yeah. Or was there Batman, you know? Yeah, well, it makes yeah. it makes you wonder why it can't have Batman on TV because it's not it, you know it's not going to be as expensive to produce a Batman show um, as it would be to say produce a, a Spider-Man show where you're going to have to use virtually CGI in every single fucking shot. Yeah, I think um, I think if you can do Green Arrow on TV, you can do Batman on TV. I'm, I'm guessing effects-wise, it's not all that dissimilar. No, and if and, and if they can and if they can give us Grodd on the Flash, I mean Grodd for God's sake. <laughs> then they then they don't have the same hurdles they once did. I mean, Flash is doing a lot of really expensive effects shots every week. Yeah. You know, and they never seem like they're taking time off from showing us something interesting. Well. No. Yeah. And talking of which, um, I'm, I'm as I say, I'm about two weeks behind, so you know, I'm not seeing the uh, the Love Triangle episode with Felicity and uh, and and whoever. Um, That's- Watch every episode. Well, well, it's yeah. every episode, but it's more so in some episodes than others. Yeah, um, and this, this last episode was it was painful. I mean, it's very hard to be a forty-something non-soap opera fan watching a CW show. Um, right. it, it it just bugs because I want to be the audience for this show because I love superhero shows, but I am very much not the audience for the show because it's CW. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a Sorry, continue. There's a dichotomy there that's making me want to put my head through a wall. I don't know what to do. Mm. Well, I was just going to make this crazy suggestion, which would probably make me very unpopular. I'm probably losing listeners over this, but how about they just kill for mystery? <laughs> just, just, just see her off, you know. Just, you know, bullet to the head, done, over. I actually, I like her though. She's visually the character than they're doing than they're giving her credit for this season for sure. I mean, the, the stuff they were doing when, when Oliver was believed dead, where she was kind of trying to hold the group together, that was great, you know. Yes. You know, that's that's yeah. it. I, I think she's great as a computer hacker, as a savvy computer hacker, but as, as a romantic interest and stuff like that, it kind of drags it down. So that you should just keep her as a hacker. Well, the thing that's irritated me about the, sh- the show this season, or the love triangle stuff, is um, they haven't done it in the previous seasons. Certainly not to the same extent. You've never had Felicity pining after Oliver when someone else is hanging around, you know. Um, I mean, they did a little bit with Sarah, but that was more... She felt that Sarah was encroaching on her territory rather than any kind of love rivalry. Which actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen the, um... Seen, like, the 15-minute trailer for the finale? No. Have you not? No, I don't watch trailers. I, I um I accidentally wound up watching it last night um, while taking a break from from the computer. Um, I I've got IGN on my PlayStation, the the video channel IGN, and they did they did a, a blow by blow analysis of the of this trailer, but it looks pretty awesome, you know, because basically the you know you've got a triumvirate you've got a triumvirate of superheroes with um with Arrow wearing sort of like um, a different outfit, which kind of leads you to assume that he's actually taking up Ras Ogu or Raish Ogu up on his offer and become He's going to have Raish. He's going to have to. There's a choice at this point. Oh. And I think I think the other guy's Atom. I'm not sure. It didn't. didn't yeah, it's Ray. It's Ray as Atom. Yeah. yeah. It didn't actually look like, a, like like the same costume. 
that that he was donning um, previously, and um, and and the other guys, uh, the other ones, are flash, obviously. But they 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 show it sort of like it's hinting that there's going to be going to be a huge crossover event towards the end of the season. Yes, there will be. And there will be. They're already talking about it. It looks pretty awesome. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to sort of get your guys' thoughts on that. You guys. I'm. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's what I'm wondering is how they're going to deal with um, bring, bringing Sarah back. Whether they're going to use time travel or the Lazarus pit to bring Sarah back because she's apparently going to be in the spinoff. Well, they, they they can use the Lazarus pit because they you know they confirm that they do have the Lazarus pit. Yes. You know, um, so that that's probably what what will happen. And I can kind of see, I can kind of see Nissa getting fed up, realizing that her father is not going to relent, and choosing to bring Sarah back because Sarah is her only compensation for the, for the fact that she's lost her her legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see her, I can see her being pissed enough at her father to do that. Yeah, they haven't dealt with that part yet, but I, I dare say it's coming. And um, you know, now now we're on, now we're kind of um, off our old movie more into Smash territory. Um, let me ask you guys because it's not aired here in the UK yet, and it probably it probably will have aired by the time this um, by the time this show goes out. But what was your take on the um, the Trickster episode? It was awesome, and um, I had it's been a while since I even saw the '90s Flash, which I didn't even really enjoy very much. But this was this was the, the vindication of that. Mm. Yeah, but the, the Trickster episodes. In the nineties, Flash were actually the highlights of the nineties. Flash, they were the best episodes. Mm. So. Yeah, well, Mark Hamill was was great. You know, he was kind of half Hannibal Lecter, half the Joker. Mm. He was, it was wonderful. He was wonderful, and he just he he went to town. He it was no holds barred. It's just one big trick as well. Yeah, he was tricking me to basically letting him out of prison. That's clever. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see that because um, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed his uh, interpretation, the trickster in the um, in 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 the nineties Flash series. I haven't actually seen that, but I'm told this one's a lot more kind of off the chain. It's just completely insane. Cool. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we've had that on um, on on Flash. We've also had the recent, um, you know, the two guys from Prison Break. Uh-huh. Oh yes, I I really enjoy them. The um, you, you can you, you can tell that they have a rapport based on years of being co-stars. It's kind of awesome. Although the the fact that it was surrounded by lazy time travel wasn't best. No, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. I kind of actually liked part one better than part two in terms of the time travel story. I mean, the in part one, obviously, it was obvious that time travel was coming. But you know, part one there was a lot going on. But it turned out they were just do everything because it didn't and I have to say the twist with Reverse Flash where we actually meet original Reverse Flash who's been using Dr. Wells as as a um, as an Edgar suit is is, was actually those sequences where you see the Edgar suitness of it um, were actually as as horrific and gross as anything I've seen on network television they kind of went to town I wish they had spent the entire episode for doing it from Bond's perspective, though, because it could have just been in... Literally, we could have achieved the same thing with a couple of lines. Yeah, I've got to admit, um, when, when I seen... Um, when, when I seen... The, when I seen Cisco get shot in that in the first part of that two-part episode, I thought, mm, they're going to bring him back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this can't happen. Yeah. yeah. They've got to bring him back, because he's vibe. Yeah. 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 And um, and Daniel Pennebaker, who plays Caitlin, has saying saying by the end of the season we will see Killer Frost. By the end of this season. Yes, she's she's coming. That's a bit too much too soon, isn't it? Well, it depends on context. Yeah. But I will say the one thing that's really good about the fact that they've revealed the, the, the twist with Reverse Flash is that once they reveal it, you you really learn to appreciate. Um, Tom Cavanaugh's performance as Dr. Wells even more. Because there are just so many layers. And apart from the awesomeness of the twist in itself, I hope this doesn't cost us Tom Cavanaugh. Because I've I've gotten attached to the Edgar suit. Yeah, I can see how he could return in the next season, really. 
assuming we deal with them in this season. Yeah, yeah. But then again, when it comes to um, when it comes to Barry facing down Reverse Flash, he's going to have to fight an earlier version of him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Before. Yeah. Before stuff. Yeah, it's, it's going to get time for me. And one of one of my one of my problems with the whole Rachel Gold storyline is that, um, and this is just me being esoteric, and maybe I'm just being too geeky and esoteric for my own good. But I feel like at some point there needs to be a scene, especially if if uh, Oliver does take Rachel by his offer, a scene where Barry says to him, "You know the Rachel's time travel in one direction for centuries, right?" Mm-hmm. That, that, that you're basically going to become an honorary metahuman mm. by, by the time this is over. And then and the Barry is also going to have to ask um, Oliver to see, you know, if you're going to be Raish, you know, 500 years from now, you're going to be there when um, when Thawne goes into the time loop from his end. I would like you to monitor that for me so that there's a record. Although I think if Oliver does accept it, he won't keep it for very long. I get the impression it's kind of he'll maybe try and make good with the, the power that he has and then relinquish it in some way later. Oh, I, I, I think that, I think that Nissa is going to come into play before this is over. Because she's not going to go down. Yeah, I, I, I hope Nissa does come into play because I just love that actress, especially when she's dressed up all in black tight cat suits, you know? Yes, yeah. And I just, and I actually feel sorry for Nissa. <laughs> I, I, I want her to be Rachel Gould because she, putting aside whatever you think of, of, the, of the League's mandate, that is her gig. And her yeah. father is, is fucking with her now for over, over prophecy. And it's, it, 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 it's upsetting. And so I would really like her to actually get it, just because I, I sympathize with her in all of this. I wonder where Talia is. Yeah, that's there what is, I've been thinking. There is no Talia, and the reason I know that is because I brought it up in uh, in one of my DC roundups. The producers actually discussed the fact that in this version of the DCU, there is no Talia. There is only Nessa. Mm. That is a conscious decision that they made. I suppose if they bring in another racial ghoul later, he could have a daughter called Talia. Y- yes. And they, they said that if they ever decided to bring Talia in retroactively, she would be there to serve Nissa's story, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I just been thinking, guys, actually, um, you know, me- moving back on to the Flash again, uh, there's one thing that I'd really, really love to see in the second season of Flash. Um... And it's one thing that I would have liked to have seen at some point during the first season, but it doesn't like it's going to happen. But I want to see the Golden Age Flash. Because in the comics, the two do actually meet up on several occasions. Oh, Garrick. Yeah. yeah. Was so it Garrick? I, yeah, it was Garrick. So I, 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 want to see, I want to see Garrick. I want to see the Golden Age, Age Flash. Well, the, the issue with that is that within this continuity, Barry is the first one. At least as far as he knows. As far as he knows, yeah. Unless there are some naturally occurring metahumans, which there could be. Well, I mean, there could have been, you know, there could have been a flash in the 70s or something that no one ever really knew about. Yeah. You know, in the true. same way that no one really knew that Wildcat was a vigilante because he didn't interact with that many people. Yeah, that's true. You know, or, or maybe, maybe sort of like, uh, you know, he erased all record of his of his existence after he'd actually completed missions. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that it could, could work. Could be that he performed all all of his saves in the way that Barry should be, as in by never stopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the one. That 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 pretty much answers it. Uh, CW producers, I hope you're listening. We want we want Garrett. We want want we want the Golden Age Flash. They have said that they're thinking about Wally West for next season. They, he he will be there, according to some of the stuff that's come out of uh, conventions in the past couple of days. They're bringing him in. I mean, part of me feels like it's just too much going on too soon. You know, it's like you can't take a breath and let these things develop you know, a bit. That is a problem, and it, it is. Um, but I think I think they're just they're just so happy to be playing in this toy box that they're they're not really stopping to think about oversaturation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to say Caitlin doesn't become Killer Frost until season three. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's really funny, actually. This the amount the amount of. Uh, people from the comics are actually bringing it in because if you remember Smallville, it used to be a really, really big deal if they yeah. brought someone in from the comics because you know apparently they had to jump through all sorts of hoops to get the uh, get to, get the permission to to do it. Yeah, they couldn't call the Flash the Flash, for instance. Yeah, yeah, things like that. 
and uh, you know when when they um, when when they bought him, what was the name? Now is it the Tata, the the magician, oh, um, the the woman? You know, I think his his, his daughter. When when they bought her in, it, it was like um, she she was nowhere near as sort of like a comic book in in Smallville, and she was they they kind of played her down a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know so. But Although, I mean, she could still do magic. Zatanna, that was it. Zatanna, yeah, that's yeah. one. I forget that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one thing they've not done yet, is magic in this in this universe. That's but, apparently going to be brought in with the uh, Vixen web, web series that the CW is doing. Yeah. Uh, so, are you guys, like me, looking forward to um, Daredevil at the end of the week? Yeah. I, I, it depends on whether they ask me for my credit card information up front. Because <laughs> I... I if you're not a Netflix member, they will ask you for it, but as long as you cancel it within the 30 days, they won't take any money off you. Mm-hmm. I'll have to see how much time I... It depends on whether I have the time to to um, binge it within the within the, the free window. I'll yeah. see. Well, yeah. all, all 13 episodes are going up on Friday, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to binge watch as many as I can on Friday night, and, you know, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, should we uh, move off the comic book stuff now and uh, go on something, uh, um, a very, very British institution, <laughs> as in, as in, as Brits trying to be all American and stuff like that, um, um, FAB, Scott, did you see Thunderbirds over weekend? Sure did. I did, yes. I, I did do. What, what did you think? I thought it was, um, I thought it was impressively put together. It looked pretty, you know, wet. I've done a great job of, of, uh, making it look good and apart from some of the character models and the dialogues are okay but there was enough sort of action in there to sort of keep me going yeah I I liked it uh, one thing that I uh, put in my review is that I think it's probably going to get kind of annoying if they have five four three two one Thunderbirds I go at every single every single time a ship launches Sort of well, did you notice that in the second half of the episode, obviously it was a double episode, they, they were already, already using stock footage. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, but it's... I, I think it's... Um, I, I think it's fairly faithful to the original um, in, in, in many ways, um, with the exception of Jeff Trace's not in it. You know, he, he, we can assume he, that he's dead or, or um, sort of like being, being so severely injured that he can no longer function. Um, at mm. least the five years, because the the, uh, the new series is actually set in 2060, whereas the original 60s version was set in 2065. Mm. So, I did yeah, find it interesting that he wasn't around, but I suppose it allows the the brothers to you know, to really shine in that sense, as in they don't have anybody leading them. I, th- I think that's why I did it, and I also think that if they had Jeff Tracy in it, it's all like. Um, I think I think there's a certain degree of uh, politics and um, and and sort of like modernisation involved in having um, having an older uh, an older character in, in charge of the of, of the international rescue sort of thing. Um, I don't think that I don't think that that plays well with uh, with younger viewers these days. Yeah. Um, well, basically, that allows John the role to be in charge. You know, he's sitting there in space, monitoring stuff, giving them the missions. Yeah, and I think it's also given John much more to do as well than, than he had yeah. in the original as well. I I liked what I saw of Lady Penelope, but I do hope that she gets more development because she was actually my favourite character in the original of what I saw. I thought, you know, she went for that kind of high-pitched, childish-sounding voice rather than, you know, something more, I guess, refined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that might just be Rosamund Pike because I just I think that she just tweaked her own speaking voice a bit. Yeah, because she'd be capable of being that kind of, you know, sounding like she has the knowledge and authority to get things done. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the new character, Kale? Think they've actually drafted her in from the movie? Um, she's basically Tintin. Pardon? Yeah, she takes the place of Tintin. Yeah, because it, she was called Tintin in the movie, wasn't she? Yeah, and and. That, uh, I mean, this version, she's much more capable, but she has the same sort of backstory. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference is she's, you know, well-trained and all that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think Tintin in the movie was also a renation of the hood. Yeah. yeah. She was the original, too. Was she? Yeah. No, I don't remember her from the original. Yeah, it was like the her father's the hood's brother. 
I, I don't actually remember her, don't remember that character from the original, that's weird. <laughs> All she did was sit around and occasionally get psychic impulses, I think. Mm. Ah, right, so that, that's probably why I don't remember her. She, she was yeah, we've given inactive. her much agency this time. You know, she can do whatever she wants. I, I think... She, well trained. I also think what was cool about this new ship, ship is, you know, Kale gets her own ship at the end of the episode. Yeah. The Thunderbird S. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah and the sort of the change in uh, Brain's nationality is, is fine. Because yeah, otherwise, it's a bunch of white guys save the world. I, I appreciated the fact that they got Sylvia Anderson to voice the grandmother. I hope that the grandmother actually gets a whole storyline. You know, she's she's earned it. You know, actually, um, I was watching before I watched this show. I was watching uh, Thunderbirds No Strings Attached, which is a uh, it was Reggie Yates uh, did it before the show. It was actually shown on Thursday mm-hmm. um, last week um, at the same time as it, as the debates. So you know, so more people probably watching that than watching the debates. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so like uh, it was revealed in that that. Um, Sylvia Anderson also has another role to play in it, um, in that she's going to be playing uh, playing Lady Penelope's uh, mother. Mm-hmm. Awesome! Um, in, in an episode as well. So, so basically you're going to have Lady Penelope and her mum together. Sort of thing. Awesome! So, yes! That's going to rock. Um, but yeah, it's... I was a bit confused as to why you've got the same voice actor sort of doing two brothers. You know, that is annoying. Yeah, it, it makes their already ill-defined character traits even harder to get around. Yeah, it's not just it's not just it's not just the same voice actor. You got you got two voice actors doing two of the brothers. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not just one one voice actor. It's it's actually two. Yeah. So whenever they talk, it just you know they, they just all sound the same. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the episode. I thought the uh, the CG was good. The models were really good. There were a few problems with depth and weight on 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 the ships, mm. um, yeah. but you know they they weren't massively massively bad problems. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. Um, now I think you said something earlier on before we started recording, Craig, that you found that it was perhaps a little bit more. Childish than the original. Definitely. I mean, um, apparently, it's it's geared towards ages six to eleven, and it definitely plays that way. You know, it's. I mean, as an adult, I suppose I'm just watching it to see how the rescue stuff happens. But there's nothing else, at least not so far. There's nothing really behind that to compel me to be invested in what's going on. Yeah, I think I think <clears throat> I think what you also have to remember is um, we watched the originals when we were kids. Yeah. And you know. And our parents may have watched the originals with us, so I think, mm. if not even before us, but... Um, so may, may, maybe we're, we're perhaps maybe a little bit too much romantically attached to the original uh, to think that, that, that this new version's more childish, but at the end of the day, you know, so like, um, I, I'm not taking anything away from the original, because the originals are brilliant, and they've been good for over... They've been good for over 50, 50 years... And they've, they've actually entertained probably about, you know, four, maybe five generations of children up until yeah. they remade this sort of thing. I mean, my nephew, Jake, um, was watching it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it didn't really get repeated on, on mainstream television in the, in the 2000s. So there's a generation that's not, not, not had, on, ha- had any Thunderbirds on television. And I say yeah. watch it on sci-fi. Yeah, and I like that... Um... I like it doesn't beat you over the head with the nostalgia. It's just the setup's quite similar because it, it is what it is, but it doesn't like doesn't hit you over the head with all these references that only fans of the old show will get. And it's, you know, it's definitely keeping it open to let a new generation get in there, get you know, get invested in it and grow up with it, I guess, and enjoy it. But at the same time, there were references. I mean, if you remember, you know, the other scene where is it was it the Tracy John Tracy. He, he refers to uh, to TV shows being now. Oh, damn, I'm missing my favourite TV show. Oh, and, and, a clip yeah. and, and it's clip from Stingray. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really good. I, was, I, I, know, I, I thought, didn't notice that, and I was just it's one of those little throwaway things that you would never, you know, fans of well, obviously new fans would never ever notice it. And 
there's another cool bit as well. Um, if you notice the scene that the uh, front end of it, the cockpit, looked like the uh, cockpit from Eagle Ships in Space 1999. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 was, I was sort of like, I spotted all sorts of little visual, little visual snaps, mm. um, and, and also on the launch, on the launch pad for one of the Thunderbird ships, it's actually a lemon squeezer. <laughs> <laughs> they kept it from the original. <laughs> so, one thing I found quite funny, I don't know why, but you know, when Thunderbird 1 launches and all the Sunliners get blown out of the way. That's Thunderbird 2. I just kept thinking, who puts them back? Yeah, it's Thunderbird 2, though, that. No, it's Thunderbird 1 when it comes out of the pool. Is the it? Sunliners uh-huh. go flying off to the sun. Yeah. Oh, Thunderbird 2 is with the trees, isn't it? Yeah. When, when the trees get peeled back. Yeah, that that's actually uh, an interesting one because they're kind of like uprooted every time Thunderbird Two launches. <laughs> yeah. that, that's probably one of the uh, one of life's mysteries. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it was a good show, um, and you know, kind of kind of wrapped. It, I want to wrap this up with a question because you know we've had modern interpretations of uh, Captain Scarlet, uh, which. I've heard mixed, mixed things about that. I never actually watched it, so I watched it through like, last year sometime, but it was just kind of it's kind of flat and dull. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I, remember, I used to love the original. Yeah, the original was really dark. It was. You um, saw like a, this is the voice of the Misty Runs, <laughs> and you never seen it. You had Captain Black. Yeah. Um, but why, you know, what, what I'd like to ask is, uh, what other Jerry Anderson shows would you like to see updated, if, if any? So I, yeah, I was going to say that myself. It's Stingray. I'd love to see that updated. Why not just do a shared universe with Stingray and Thunderbirds? Yeah, I, n- I never got why they didn't do that. Because it, this, if you look at Stingray and look at Thunderbirds, the villain looks exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> same bushy eyebrows, same bald head. <laughs> I guess it just wasn't going through their head at the time. I mean, you know, it'd also be interesting to see Fireball XL5 redone. You know, that, that was one of the earlier ones in Black and White. Yeah, I don't really watch that one, but it could be on the car too. You know? And, and um, what was the other one? Supercar? <laughs> they had one called Supercar, which ran for a while, and, and they also had a Joe 90. You can guarantee that if Thunderbirds does well, all those will start getting... Mm-hmm. But you know the, the the good thing is is um, there's there's actually another Anderson project that's actually in development, but it's not in development with ITD. It's in development by a by Anderson Entertainment. It's been mm-hmm. headed up by by, uh, by by Jerry's son Jamie Anderson. Yeah. And it's basically um, it's basically a, Jack, a show that he that he did and sold to Japan um, in the in the two thousands um, and. It, it, they're basically they've, they've done a Kickstarter campaign and they've got they've got to go ahead to make a movie mm. or a TV series out of it. And I can't remember what it's called, but um, the only reason I mention it is because they actually donated to Kickstarter to the Kickstarter campaign last year to help get it back up and running. Cool. I think so. That that that's going to be happen, happening. Mm. And I should imagine if Gemini Force One does well, you know, the novel series that 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 that. that um, that J- J- Jamie's, um, you know, put together with um, with, a, with another writer. Uh, mm. It's been ba- pretty much straight, being adapted straight from his father's work. His, you know, Jerry Anderson was writing a novel yeah. uh, towards the end of his towards the end of his life, and uh, he got quite so much of it down. And it's called Gemini Force One, and it's really cool. It's actually an update. It's it's, it's like an updated version of Thunderbirds. But the first novel tells the entire origin story of it mm-hmm. and how Gemini Force One comes into being. And it's, um, it's, it's a really good book. Um, and, and I should imagine if that does well, that, that'll probably get made into a TV series at some point down the line. Yeah. Sort of thing. I think um, the time slot for the Thunderbirds is a bit confusing because they're shoving it on at like 8 in the morning on a Saturday. But, but it seems like it didn't really go well at 5 o'clock on Saturday night, time slot. Yeah, and, you know, and that, that's what's crazy about it, because it, they've just shown it on Saturday night at 5pm as a one-off on ITV1, and next week you're going to get the same old shit, which is basically Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, you know, it basically relegates it to the realm of 
only you know, only six year old kids kind of thing will get up on a Saturday morning at half seven and shove on Thunderbird. Yeah. It basically means that families won't be watching it because adults might be asleep. Yeah, and it's also it also means I've got to reset my comedian TiVo to um C I T V to record the rest of it. Yeah. That's bloody annoying. It's a shame moved the time slot already. Maybe they'll move it back. And can't see it. I'd mm. like them to, so I could watch it at, at a, a more realistic time. <laughs> I'll just watch it whenever I want to. Mm. I never actually saw it until yesterday. Yeah, so I, I missed it when it was aired because I was talking to Mats. Um, mm. Because we was testing out some, you know, we were testing out Google. Mm-hmm. Um um, so, but I watched it after that, and then I watched it again on um, on Sunday and did the review sort of thing. But I, mm. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I didn't know it actually started until my dad told me on Sunday because uh, for some reason out in my head it was starting on the fifteenth. I think that was the date at some point. And then my dad told me it was starting. I was like, "Holy crap! Better watch that." Okay, well, I think it's now time for our interview with uh, Andrew Farago, um, who's going to be talking about um, you know his his a uh, great book, which is a it's like a complete reference guide to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, with the book, when you buy it on Amazon, you know, we'll tell you all about it in the interview, um, it actually comes with a, a reproduced um, version of the very, very first issue of the comic book that started it off. So, um, so it's time, we'll, we'll move on to the uh, interview now. Um, as always, uh, Craig Reeser, thanks for joining us. Thank you. They're the world's most fearsome fighting we're really hip. They're heroes in the half shell and they're green. Hey, get a grip. When the evil shredder attacks, these turtle boys don't cut them no slack. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Splinter taught them to be ninja teens. This is a radical rap. Leonardo leads Donatello Dust Machines. This is a Michelangelo is a party dude. I'd like to uh, welcome to the show uh, Andrew Farago, who's um, an author, or he's the author of the um, recently released book, it was released last year, um, in June I think it was. Um, called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Ultimate Visual History. Uh, hello, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Uh, well, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's great. You know, so, like, um, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of funny, you know. I mean, you must, you must be, you know, pretty much an, ex, an, expert on, an expert on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I guess. It's, uh, it's something, uh, yeah, if you told me that at 12 years old, I would have believed it. <laughs> <laughs> Told me that as an adult, I would have been, I would have been, uh, yeah, I would have questioned you. But uh, yeah, yeah, now I'm, I'm, that's that's an official job title of mine now as a Ninja Turtles expert. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I was just uh, saying to you, Ian, you know, after recording, you you work in a you work in a cartoon museum. Um, that that must be a pretty cool job to have. Uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that, and you know what what you do and what the museum has on offer? Sure, I'm I'm the curator at the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco, and that uh, yeah, I, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, so that that includes putting our exhibitions together, uh, which has a lot of long term planning, short term planning. Uh, I do a lot with the programming. I go to conventions. I do uh, interviews, panel discussions. Uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of our PR over here. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of everything, and I've, I've worked with um, you know quite quite a range of artists. We we just launched a uh, an exhibition of a character called Savage Dragon. It was one of the early Image Comics characters. Cool. Uh, and uh, right now I'm immediately shifting gears to work on an exhibition featuring art from the movie uh, Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea uh, from from the great studio called Cartoon Saloon, based out of Ireland. So it's uh, it's it's nonstop. It's one it's one really interesting thing after another over here. So it sounds like a great job to have if you're if you if you're a lifelong fan of comics and cartoons. I guess uh, it's it's great. Yeah, I get to work with um, 
you know, I know a lot of people who have full-time jobs in the comics industry and in the animation industry, and uh, I, I really get to work with, uh, you know, people in any uh, any number of different categories. So I get to, you know, talk to children's book authors and comic book artists and comic strip creators and you know, animators and authors. So it's, uh, you know, it's really, really the best of all worlds for me. So, um, how how did the um, how how did the the book come about for you? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Ultimate the Ultimate Visual History. Um, when 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 did that when did that project st- first start permeating um, as such? Well, uh, I, I'd written a book a few years earlier uh, called The Looney Tunes Treasury, and that uh, the editorial team I worked with uh, was at a company called Insight Editions. And they're based here in Northern California. Uh, although the book was ultimately published by a company called Running Press, uh, I was my editorial team was at Insight Editions. Cool. And uh, yeah, about I want to say about four year, three or four years ago, uh, they got uh, Insight got the license to do a Ninja Turtles book. And the editor, Chris Prince, he, uh, he dropped me a line and he asked, uh, you know, what do you know about the Ninja Turtles? And, and uh, if you were to write a, you know, a history book, what's, what's your pitch? So uh, several other writers and I, I uh, you know, sent him a pitch and I told him about my approach, how I would, how I'd go about the book, um, what kind of, you know, what, what I could bring to the project and uh yeah as someone who um you know has, has been a turtles fan since uh since he first saw them on tv in 1987 wow uh I, I thought i was i thought i was the right man for the job absolutely I mean you know, i just um just just based on what you said there you talked about uh the mooney tunes book that you did um, I did. I didn't actually know about that, so I just uh, took a quick look, and I've got to say that looks really well presented as well. I mean, I I, uh, I was kind of like in my early twenties by the time the turtles hit here in the UK, because um, they they kind of came came here um, probably around about eighty nine, eighty eight, I think. So yeah, I was uh, I was just about the perfect age. The um, obviously there are fans who discovered the black and white comic book. Uh, in 1984, right when that came out, uh, but I, I grew up in a small town, so we really didn't have access to the type of specialized comic book shop that would have had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like millions and millions of other kids, my my introduction uh, came for me. For me, it was it would have been December of 1987 uh, when the um, first animated cartoon showed up on television, and my younger brother and I saw that, and we just we just went nuts. We thought that was the greatest thing in the world, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I would have I would have been floored if you told me you know, 20, <laughs> 25 years later that I'd be writing a book uh, and and talking to you know the creators of the turtles, the voice actors uh, on that cartoon, the studio that produced it. Uh, and it was yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was an incredibly fun project, and uh, it was two years of my life working on that book. Yeah, I bet it was a fun here project as well because uh, this you know. Before I was even before I was even told about you and your book, uh, a couple of days before I got got the email off my mate James, um, I'd actually um, I'd actually watched um, a film. It was like a documentary um, about the origins of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and um, it had interviews with the with the, with the guys that created the toy company that did the toys and and everything. So. Uh, yeah, the doc- yeah the documentary is um, yeah it's, it's it's great. Uh, Randall Lobb is the uh, guy that put that together, and it's interesting. We were both working on these projects independent of each other, and found out. I think I think about halfway through each of our projects, we found out about the other one, and you know he didn't manage to our schedules didn't quite match up, so he didn't manage to interview me for the documentary. Uh, I didn't manage to interview him for my book. <laughs> But uh, you know they they seem to complement each other really well. Yeah, that, that's a shame. I mean, and one one things I noticed about your book, um, I, I watched a YouTube uh, review of it, um, was that it actually comes with a with with a, with a copy of sorts of the of the original first nineteen eighty four issue as well. Yeah, that was uh, well. That's that's one of the things that um, 
you know, I think I think that's what put me ahead of some of the other uh, prospective writers of the book. Is uh, thanks to my job, I'm in contact with a lot of artists and a lot of art collectors. So I told my, I told my editor. I, I think uh, I've got a lead on the um, entire first issue of the book, all the original artwork, and, and uh, that that was one of the things. Uh, that was that was some of the <laughs> that was, those were the resources that I was able to bring that uh, you know helped put my pitch over the top. And I told him, uh, you know, I know Insight is known for doing these these brilliant replica editions. So I said, let's 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 do uh yeah let's include a copy of the first issue shot from the original artwork. Yeah, I mean and, uh, that's, that's the first time that had been done. It, it looked cool. Man. So, have, have you actually? Have you actually? Um, you've probably. You've obviously read the very first issue. I mean, I I haven't. Um, so, I'm, I'm just wondering um, if you you having read that first issue, maybe how, how how different are the characters on the on those pages to what they kind of later became? It's you know all the uh, all the foundation is there. Everything. You know, everything that's still 30 years later uh, makes the turtles what they are. You know, there's it's it's there in that book in some way, shape, or form. You've got the you've got the four turtles. They have their specialized weapons. Uh, Splinter is their teacher slash father figure. Uh, the Shredder is there. The Foot Clan. Uh, you know, everything everything but April O'Neil, I think, is there in that first issue that you really need. Uh, but it, you know, it's it's a, it's a product of its time. Nineteen eighties independent black and white comic books were, uh, you know, it's fun. But that was that was a really gritty comic. So I think um, if you're a fan of the Nickelodeon show, if you're a fan of the show that you watched in the nineteen eighties, you're going to find that it's quite a bit darker than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's actually got a lot of similarities to the uh, yeah the nineteen ninety live action movie took quite a bit from that first issue and from those early comics. So if you if you enjoyed that, it's not going to seem that um, that alien to you when you're when you're uh, reading that book. No, I, I, I thought the uh, I thought the live action movie was pretty good. I mean, you know, again when I when I actually uh, when I was actually watching that documentary, I was actually surprised to you know find out that it was shot on a you know a ringy a ringing old budget in comparison to sort of like um, what 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 you know the likes of Avengers Age, Age of Ultron are being shot on now <laughs> and, and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. I uh, I had to revisit all of this when I was writing the book, and um, yeah, the the movie from 1990 holds up really well. It's uh, you know it's all done with uh, what we call practical effects, so no no CGI. Uh, so if they needed a you know if you needed a turtle. <laughs> Uh, you built it. You built it in the uh, you know the Henson Creature Shop, uh, and they did they did a phenomenal job on that. And um, you know, really, really, they could have put out just about anything, and kids would have seen it. But uh, the fact that they took so much pride in their work, put so much effort into it, so much care into it, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's really. Um, you know, even Roger Ebert, who I don't think liked it much at all, said it's probably the best possible Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie uh, they could have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he meant that as kind of an insult, but uh, looking back, I think he was—I think he was right. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think Roger Ebert liked uh, pretty much anything, to be honest. Uh, I, you know, I, I agree with him. I agreed with his reviews of quite a bit, um, you know, but superheroes and uh, comic book movies, I don't think those were ever his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those of us who were into that, uh, you know, I, that was, that movie just blew me away when I saw it in the theaters, uh, geez, about 25 years ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's still, it's still fun to watch. I still, I still like to take that one off the shelf every once in a while and, and order a pizza and, uh, Sit back and enjoy that one. Mm, extra cheese and anchovies. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and, and uh, jelly beans. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've actually got a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie box set in the back here. So, <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm sort of like, a, I'm a little bit of a fan, but I'm, I'm kind of like a little bit of a fan of, of, of anything sort of like uh, comic booky and uh, and science fiction and, and stuff like that. So, um so, so I've got I've got a pretty I've got a pretty impressive movie and, and comic book connection, I guess. <laughs> Agree. Yeah, it's good to hear that. <laughs> um, so, 
Um, is there anything is there anything in in the book about the the new movie? Because from from what you were telling me before, it's like four years in in the planning stages, and it took two years out of your life. And um, I think they only started working on on the new movie. Uh, what about two, maybe three years ago? Yeah, so that um, it was it was a it was a challenge definitely. The um, the movie came together. Uh, the movie was coming together at the same time. Uh, as the book was, and they made a lot of last-minute changes to the movie. Uh, and they actually, uh, the first part of our book, um, you know, they were, <laughs> we actually, in, in print, there's evidence that they were still tinkering with things because we have some information that they provided me directly uh, that's changed by the time the movie was released, uh, including, you know, I shouldn't spoil it for anyone, but uh, they changed the identity of the Shredder uh, from one point to um, to when the movie uh, finally got released. So the um, that's that's one of the that's one of the inaccuracies that made it into the first print of the book. Um, but that was that one was not my fault. <laughs> uh, that one that one was a result of them changing things at the last minute. Um, so yeah, I wasn't able to go as in depth in the new movie uh, as I was with the others, partly because Nickelodeon kept things so tightly under wraps. Oh, I, I remember, um, you know, back in the uh, back in the nineties, um, I you know I, I I was going to I was going to the gym a lot um, and doing a lot of uh, a lot of sporty stuff. And often before before I went in there, there, there was some like this arcade machine of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You, m- you remember it with the you had four players. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent uh, I spent a lot of money on that. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, tell me about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, to me, to me, it was a, just a, it was a fantastic concept of its time and, and stuff like that. Um, it, it doesn't really stand up to me that well now as it did back then, I guess. But I guess I've sort of like just grown old and boring. Yeah, that uh, that game was, you know, at the time it was. I, th- I think they put it together uh, pretty quickly. Um, no, no one knew how long the turtles were going to be around, so I know that they um, they did a lot of these products very quickly because um, they thought it was just another thing that kids were going to like for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a very it wasn't a particularly sophisticated game. You you just uh, moved left to right on the screen until you, <laughs> fighting small bad guys until you get to the big bad guy, and uh, that was very much designed to keep you putting quarters into the game. Uh, <laughs> for for as long as possible, and um, yeah, so but you know, there's a, there's a lot of nostalgia for that. Those of, those of us that um, you know spent spent afternoons just putting five dollars worth of quarters into that game uh, still remember it pretty fondly. Yeah, I mean, if um, you know, basically the amount of weeks and the amount of money I spent in that game, um, man, if I could have that money back now, I'd be I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's not to think about that. Mm, right. um, is, so aside from the uh, aside from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, what, what other what other comic book um, characters um, ha- are you into, or, or have you been into over over, over the years? Um, uh, we, we probably don't have enough time to get into all of them, but uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up, um, you know, like everybody else, um, all your classic. Uh, characters like Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. Uh, those were the comic book characters I got into, you know, from a very young age. And uh, over the years, it's just branched out exponentially. Still, uh, I still visit my local comic shop once a week. And in addition to the Marvel and DC books, you know, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for new interesting art and stories and creators. Uh, so I buy a lot from uh, publishers like IDW, who publish the Ninja Turtles comics now, um, and also Dark Horse, Image Comics. Uh, I read I read manga, I read comic strips. So it's, yeah, every... Uh, if, it's, if, it, if it's in print, I will I'll give it a look. Or if it's online, I'll give it a look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I get a lot. I get quite a lot from Boom. Um, and I, and I can get a lot of the stuff that Dynamite does with the old, with the old pulp heroes, such as Flash Gordon, the Phantom, and and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so, it's a great, it's a great time for publishing right now. There are um, 
there are a lot of publishers, and I think they are, um, as far as diversity is concerned, there are, you know, there's a greater variety of books available than uh, maybe than there's ever been, which which is great. As a as a comic book and sort of like um, cartoon sort of guy, um, we you know we've had had it in recent years where a lot of comic books are actually going digital via via means of the of comicsology. Uh, do you think the availability of them through digital means is eventually going to sort of like kill the uh, the paper comics? Or? It's it's hard to say because that's. Um... You know, that's that's something that people have been predicting for you know at least at least ten to twenty years at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, magazine circulations are decreasing, but uh, the sale of graphic novels is going up. Uh, digital sales are increasing, but um, at least at least for comics, a lot of print sales are increasing uh, as well. And you know, it's it, m- it may take another ten or twenty years for someone to be proven right. <laughs> On this, um, but you know, comic comic shops are doing uh, steady business right now, and Comicsology and the the digital uh, comics world that's that's seen a lot of steady growth too. So it's ho- hopefully they'll continue to complement each other. If um, you know if those those of us who like print, if we have to eventually switch to digital to get new comics, then then we'll make the adjustment. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, like, like pretty much most people, I'm doing both. Um, you know, I'm doing both digital and, and, and uh, traditional. Um, there's one more question that, that I should ask you is, um, you know, with you, with you working at the uh, Cartoon Museum, um, is there any um, exhibits that people should know about that are coming up in the next couple of months? Okay, uh, yeah, so like I mentioned... We have uh, I, we just opened a Savage Dragon exhibition, and that's uh, again if you have the like superheroes. Actually, the, the Ninja Turtles are in this exhibition. Uh, <laughs> they, they did a crossover with him back in the uh, the mid nineties. Uh, so that's that's a fun show. We've got a political cartoon show uh, featuring contemporary North American political cartoonists. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Secret of Kells uh, Song of the Sea exhibition that's opening up very soon. And uh, yes, our, our website is cartoonart.org. So I will, uh, I always do my best to keep that up to date with all of our events and programming. Uh, so yeah, we always have, uh, it's one of the great things about San Francisco is it's, it's, a, it's a very, um, you know, it's a very welcoming destination for very talented people. So we, we always have uh, great artists and writers and cartoonists passing through. And uh, we, we do our best to, um, do events with them and uh, find ways to uh, bring those artists and their, and their work to the public. So yeah, I encourage uh, yeah, I encourage anybody who's in San Francisco to pay us a visit. Well, I tell you what, if um, if if I ever saw like win the lottery and can get out there, you know, you, you're going to have a visit from me because I, I kind of love, love looking at different artwork, you know, whether it's comic books or or even more classical stuff. Um, <laughs> um, so you know, if, if if I ever get to pass by, I'll I'll, I'll definitely drop in and uh, check out some of the exhibits. Okay, we'll keep we'll keep the door open for you. <laughs> okay, well, well, hopefully, hopefully it's gonna be around in in, in you know for um, for for a good you know twenty to fifty to hundred years. <laughs> that's that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> um, and I guess finally, um, do, do you um, do you have any other plans? Any any other books um, on the on the horizon, or is it too kind of too early to talk about that? I've got uh, I've got a few little things uh, in the works. Uh, I've got um, actually, I don't I don't think I've signed contracts for any of them. But uh, let's let's just say I'm spending my evenings um, <laughs> at home in front of the TV watching uh, watching cartoons and taking notes. So I've got um, yeah actually three three animation projects of varying sizes coming up. Uh, in the um, months and years ahead. So I'll, <laughs> I'll be sure to keep you posted as those come together. Okay, well, uh, Andrew, uh, thanks a lot for your time. It's been, it's been brilliant being able to talk to you about turtles and cartoons and, and comic book culture in general. Thanks for having it's me. It's been, been great having you on. And uh, the best of luck, um, you know, I hope, I, hope, uh, I, hope, I hope the two books you already have out are, are singing well for you and um, the best of luck with the, these, these newer projects. Well, whatever they are. Thanks very much.
600 foot radioactive robot lizard, but with horn rimmed glasses and a pocket protector. <laughs> That's nerdy. We're on the rampage, laying waste to the geek landscape. We'll talk movies, TV, comics, toys, video games. And sometimes we talk turkey. Don't you mean chicken? <laughs> That's right. So check us out at megapodzilla.com. We're also available on iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace. Aw, yeah. Okay, engine stop. We copy it down. Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hi, this is Tom O'Pennicott, and you're listening to the SFP Now Podcast. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Um, Craig and I are back in a, in a few weeks. We're going to be doing um, a special show about Avengers Age of Ultron, so uh, keep an eye out for that, and um, hopefully in the near future we bring you more great interviews as well. Thanks a lot. Bye.